Welcome to the Two Broke College Kids podcast. That's Zoe Anderson. And that's Taylor Almond. And we're seniors and peer advisors at Portland State University. We are so excited to bring you this podcast where we will be having conversations with professors, advisors, and students about their college experiences. Along with tips, tricks, and school politics along the way. I almost said laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Jeff Leak, and um, I'm the art half of Northwest Nagy, and, and uh, Bill and I also teach a number of classes together, art and neuroscience classes here at PSU. My name is Bill Dreiser. I teach uh, neuroscience courses for the psychology department at Portland State University, and I do a lot of co-teaching with Jeff, where we're uh, working on developing, uh, along with faculty in biology, like an interdisciplinary minor in neuroscience. So instead of just having a concentration, you know, where you yeah. can uh, basically, you know, take a bunch of courses and then tell people yourself that you have earned a concentration, mm-hmm. it'll actually hopefully say something on your transcript that you oh, have a minor great. and you have done it. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. So what got you guys started here at PSU? We actually, we were both adjuncts uh, yeah. and, um, here at uh, Washington State University, the Vancouver campus, you know, other other places <laughs> we bounced around yeah. uh, doing that. Uh, Bill and I actually, our kids went to school together, so oh, that's wow. how we met. That, actually, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> considering that um, for those that are listening and don't know uh, what Northwest Noggin is, um, considering that you guys are catering to K through 12, so that makes a lot of sense to me yeah. now. We were looking around for, you know, potential summer opportunities and things like that. And, you know, all the offerings from OMSI and Saturday Academy were, all that kind of stuff was super expensive. You yeah. Know, it, was, it was inaccessible. And so we thought, you know, hey, we, we teach all these classes all over the place. Like, we were, you know, really teaching, like, classes at WSU Vancouver. I was teaching at Lower Columbia College. I was teaching at Clark College. I was teaching at PCC. Mm. I was teaching at Portland State. I was doing... You know, stuff at OHSU. So Where'd you find the time? Way. Really, we're bouncing all over, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's actually very entertaining sometimes to talk to faculty that have, you know, more traditional sort of, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they think, oh, I taught five classes this year and I'm, you know, going to fall over. <laughs> it's, like, it's actually, you know, we, I talked to 17, 18 classes even. Right? Oh, my So gosh. we thought, well, we had all these students, you know, that were really enthused and we like teaching, it's part mm-hmm. of it. Um, and we thought we could maybe, you know, connect them up to Portland Public Schools because they had a program and they still do. It's called the Sun Program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, schools uniting neighborhoods, and so we approached the Sun Coordinator at the school, and that was uh, you know for schools where more than fifty uh, percent of the kids were receiving free or reduced price lunch. These were free programs, um, and we gathered a whole bunch of students from different campuses, and we brought in brains, and we made you know our, did our projects and. It really sort of took off from there. Like it's sort of a real community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually. Uh, I feel like we've made so many kind of uh, relationships with you know schools and teachers and students, yeah. and it's really very yeah. cool. I think one of the coolest things is that it's open to the community. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that anyone can come and they can observe this for free, and there's no uh, barrier that has to be there. Um, because you were saying, like, with the other options that are out there, it's just so expensive to even that have is our, that. That is our goal and requirement. Yeah. We don't charge anything. And we don't like to, you know, participate in, you know, events that are paywalled. There was this March for Science, right, that was, yes. like, that was, like, remarkable. It was a great, a kind of um, sort of grassroots upswelling of, you know, interest in people had science, and we brought out, you know, brain tables, and OPP took our picture. It was, like, it was, like, really great. And we had tons of folks who did the march and everything. And then the following year, they did it again. And this time, I think the second, the first year it was in Waterfront Park, and the second year it was in, you know, Pioneer Square. But then the third year, 
they incorporated as a nonprofit, and then they started paying themselves salaries, and then they're going to have an event at the University of Oregon Center, and they're going to charge everybody, including like all our volunteers, are supposed to be charged to go in and present brains, etc. Yeah. The public, and we and we actually kind of got them to. They actually backed off a little bit. They uh, they told us, well, if somebody tells us at the door that they can't afford to come in, we'll wave. And I'm like, oh my god. So you have to you have to <laughs> you know, know about this unknown. Are, I'm very poor. Don't you know? Yeah. I mean, like, that's horrible. We we set up our stuff outside of their the actual event. Actual event. Right outside <laughs> of the street. <laughs> we we, so we awesome. actually around for like four or five. It was a hot days. It was like it was like a lot. Yeah. We were in front of like the Shanghai tunnels with like tables of oh brains and tons of people. And there were moms that came up with their kids like, oh my god, I can't afford you know to go in so awesome. or go to these places. This was so incredible. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the spirit of the March for Science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think you guys wanting to hit that market, especially of just not charging people and making sure this is an inclusive experience, just for those those kids who are like in minority groups or in impoverished communities that don't even think about being a neuroscientist or being able to be a doctor and that kind of stuff because it just seems so out of reach. You know, we actually find, though, um, we learn more and, like, benefit, I think, extraordinarily from these sorts of experiences because, like, um, we often talk about, like, I know this, like, we work a lot of build exito folks, et cetera, but, like, part of it is... um, we're trying to challenge the overrepresentation of certain groups in science because yeah. uh, actually, you know, there's so many more perspectives and important considerations and, you know, lived experiences that can better inform the research that we do, mm-hmm. um, you know, our understanding of how the brain relates to behavior. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it actually is just an extraordinarily, it's, it's win-win. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, totally. It is really, it's really rewarding and extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love the combination of having um, with art and neuroscience and really showing how the two can flourish together instead of just, like, segmenting them apart. Like, a lot of is very traditional, so just categorize things. But having that overlapping, which is a huge part of just, like, having, like, neurophysiology and, like, showing just, like, how the body's very interconnected. And and a lot of times, society, a lot of things are very disconnected. So I think that's awesome that you guys have that foundation for people. That's actually a legitimate way to, to uh, learn and explore uh, concepts. So we, we always try to give people things in a way that doesn't uh, uh, dictate a single approach or a single mm-hmm. right answer and, and allows them to, to actually um, uh, uh, take some ownership of what they're, what they're actually learning, direct it a little themselves. So this yeah. has some relevance to them. Especially for children, it's so much easier for them to be able to visualize those kinds of things and connect the dots that way versus throwing a bunch of really intense words at them and them being like, um, I don't know what that means. Um, Where do you typically get your brains? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, it's actually really interesting. Portland is apparently quite a center, right, for... Um, body donation. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. who will actually sign, you know, as body donors. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, people think sometimes that they're, you know, donating organs. For example, it's going to be for, you know, somebody's, you know, heart still beating that gets transplanted or something along those lines. And you know, the majority of bodies that are donated, uh, they're actually, uh, how do they say, they, they're procured and then the specimen is prepared and they're <laughs> yeah. uh, for um, surgical training courses to train, okay. you know, new doctors, doctors. basically how to you know, do hernia operations or... But oftentimes the brains are not, you know, kept at all. They're actually just incinerated. So um, there are, you know, there's very special areas. Like, for example, um, people who are suffering from Alzheimer's dementia, sometimes they want brains for a brain bank. But 
you have to actually, it turns out, um, be very, very quick. We actually just sort of asked, and so we've been going out and we've been using, we have these brains, um, and they were really excited about it. And, and we've had some amazing opportunities because we brought our own undergraduate and graduate participants mm -hmm. to these places, and they got to actually um, you know, ask questions. They learned about this whole other area of potential you know, job opportunity. Um, and, you know, they, we just actually got, um, was it donated, um, like an actual, an actual human skull. And it's wow. remarkable because um, it was an individual uh, from the Portland area, um, you know, who was a body donor, and um, they, this individual had had brain surgery. So oh, today, wow. with the sixth graders, we were showing, like, um, you know, the section of bone that had been removed, mm -hmm. and then how it had been reattached with these pretty extraordinary little titanium clips that looked like yeah. kind of wow. like large-scale watch parts or something. They were all screwed in. It was pretty amazing that the kids just are... It, it's incredible to look at the actual physical structure that mm -hmm. makes us who we are. Like, you, yeah. you feel like, right, like on your like uh, eyebrows here, mm -hmm. there's like these two little holes that you see in the skull where the this branch of a, of a major nerve, you know, called the trigeminal nerve, you know, which is carrying like touch and pressure and injury and heat information from your face, part of the face, comes in. So it's like, mm -hmm. that's where the wiring goes. And, you know, kids are just blown away when they, I can't believe, like, I'm a brain Examining like a brain. <laughs> I'm a brain. Just a brain looking at another brain. That's awesome. I might say that now from now on. How are you doing today, Taylor? Well, I'm just a brain looking at another brain. That's adorable. You know, there's something so remarkable to be able to sort of hold the brain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, brains like our brains right now, for example, are extraordinarily soft and fragile, et cetera. And then, you know, they have to be treated, so they are, they're what they call fixed. Um, and then we store them in another solution that's not the same as the really intense solution, but it's one that, you know, when kids are doing biology dissections and sheep brains, it's sort of this stuff called kerosene solution. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're pretty tough, but not amazingly so. So, yeah. and we've like worked with like 40,000 kids over you know, yeah. the last mm -hmm. eight years or something. So they will wear over time. Mm -hmm. So one thing we tried today, which was actually quite good. So um, our latest um, donated uh, specimen um, has part of the dura mater, which is like that you know, tough outer layer that surrounds the brain mm -hmm. on the top. And we've always had them hold it from below, mm -hmm. but we're having them hold it from the dura, yeah. and yeah, you know, and they can actually see a lot, which is kind of cool that way too. So yeah. maybe that'll make it last a little So we're we're learning as we we mm -hmm. go along, and then we have a lot of three D printed brains because mm -hmm. we actually um, uh, have been you know lucky to get uh, was it uh, MRI images from the adolescent brain cognitive development study at OHSU. So we have oh, local nice. adolescents. Uh, we don't know who they are, of course, but they're mm -hmm. they're from the area. Um, and then the NIH also yeah. has yeah. some adult brain. Water files that you can print off of your, of any 3D printer, actually. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and initially, it was like Intel helped us to kind yes. of organize and print some of these out. Okay. And, but then the Portland Alcohol Research Center, which has been absolutely terrific and been very supportive, actually uh, got us a, a really nice 3D printer. You were talking about um, the fact that we're able to grow the stem cells, right? And then they're using it for uh, addiction and drug intake yeah, or the effects of... Yeah, they're more rapidly on, you know, kind of you know, brains that are not encased in skulls and they can Interesting. You know, changes in connectivity and yeah. how things respond.
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so they're, they're growing these like a little brain farm. They're growing, yeah, yeah these little, little tiny farm. mini brains. <laughs> it's not like the whole brain, but it's the <laughs> farm. <laughs> Some people are listening right now and they're horrified. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I was just I was telling Bill before you got here that uh, I was showing my mom some of the photos from because uh, I looked, was looking up their events for mm-hmm. Northwest Noggin, mm-hmm. which I suggest everyone go do is NW. <laughs> Noggin.org. Yep. Um, is there an event that stands out to you guys as your personal favorite that you just, there was really just a moment where it clicked and you're just like, this is probably one of the, the greatest, like one of the best things that we've done with this so far? The school events are always, immediately those are the most rewarding, but we do, we actually do a lot of other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an art and science lecture that we usually put on, um, well, I would say it's monthly. Every term. Every, yeah. Every term. Every term. Yeah. So, we, uh, and, and uh, those we actually pair an, an artist with, a, uh, with a, somebody working in an area laboratory and they come up with their own presentation. Those are really wonderful because we never know what they're going to do. Yeah. There's some incredible things that come out of it. Um, and they're free. Yeah. And our, our next one is going to be at uh, Floyd's Old Town Coffee. Um, and it's on March 12th. Oh, and it's, it's uh, Molly Marr, yeah. who is a, uh, an MD, PhD student at OHSC who's studying like, um, like the impacts of stress, maternal stress on you know, sort of childhood development. Um, and then Kevin Smith, right, who is an artist, he's going to yeah. be also you know, collaborating and presenting right. um, in that space. So that's, it's from 6 to 8 on March 12th, and we have more details on that website there too. That's awesome. But I would just say also, like, we've been collaborating a lot with the homeless youth organization yeah. PAIR yeah. in oh. downtown Portland. And we, one event that really, I think was, that was pretty awesome was when we, you know, we're talking to a lot of youth there and they were saying, you know, pretty clearly, like, well, how could somebody just walk by somebody who is, you know, clearly in significant distress on the street? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, they, they, they said they felt like they were not being seen like they they said people sort of like either like kind of look through them mm-hmm. or look at them as if they were somehow you know less than human so it was actually really quite a palpable mm-hmm. you know experience that they were describing and so we shared research on what they call dehumanized perception i mean basically how you know people who are in what they call extreme out groups in the psychology literature but when you you put people in a scanner and show them images, um, they will not switch on networks in the brain, you know, that are you know, typically engaged when you're seeing somebody who is you know relatable and you know familiar and another thing. And um, but they found also, and we were telling this as well, that if you showed like artwork or you show you started talking about these individuals kind of as individuals, like their likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. etc., um, these networks did switch on and people suddenly became quite concerned and were like oh my goodness like what's what's wrong you know and all that kind of stuff so we did this event where um we wanted them all to be seen i I had brought in a bunch of brains i had cast out of plaster and and, uh, they were able to kind of um carve them and build uh, sculptures out of, uh, of them that sort of uh gave some impression of their their own sort of aspirations and what what where they would like to be or uh, those we were able to kind of um, uh, display all around the the, um, the uh, gallery they have there at, mm-hmm. at Paris. So we set up an event that involved mm-hmm. the.
almost the youth as basically full partners with their art displayed all over the walls, actually, and they could describe it and explain it. And we also brought in like graduate students at OHSU who were studying, you know, the brain and sleep, the brain and anxiety, the brain and drugs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also invited, you know, uh, staff members from like Chloe Udley's office and like mm-hmm. from Multnomah County, et cetera. So it was a great day where everybody was kind of like like talking to each other, learning about current research, seeing the work of these kids on the wall. It was actually really, it was a lot of fun actually. Um, so that was one I think. Yeah, like we had we had grad students that were just you were studying like um, birds and like language for example or you know birds and tool use and things oh, like that. Interesting. And yeah and some of it was some of the discussions around like oh we've discovered that and I was like because we found you know there's like um, Native American like stories that go back millennia you know, about, like, Crow and Raven and things like mm-hmm. that. And so we got a grant from the Spirit Mountain Community Fund and ended up, um, you know, making multiple visits and then spending, you know, several days in um, Celeste's Oregon um, and also in uh, tribal majority schools in Yamhill County and uh, basically uh, bringing in grad students, uh, art projects. Um, there was... Uh, a puppeteer, and and fish. Yeah, fish. <laughs> it was like this incredible like storyteller, native storyteller, and drummer, and it was just a great couple of days of like learning and sharing stories and mm-hmm. looking at brains and mm-hmm. you know hearing the drumming, and discussing like different forms of meditation. It was actually really interesting. Especially, I think, in when it comes to science and a lot of like not to get into political debates yeah, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I think there's a big issue with people not wanting to talk with one another and people not wanting to share yeah. experiences and stories and um, kind of isolating themselves to find an answer when in reality, like, if you put all of these moving parts together, it's so much easier to find an answer that's best for everyone. It is, and we also often have some of the same exact questions to some extent, and we, mm-hmm. we just are kind of approaching them from different perspectives. Yeah. So it's actually really interesting and important to kind of like hear people out, hear each other out, and then suddenly say, like, oh, yeah, I think this is, you know, because we've had, um, we went to, uh, what was it, the uh, uh, Comic-Con or Wizard World, whatever, <laughs> and did this whole thing, panel on the science of supernatural, and people were really okay. interested that, you know, they've seen ghosts, and mm-hmm. what we talked about, you know, what are called bereavement hallucinations, where actually, you know, that sounds like you're diminishing it, but it's not, I mean, it's extremely real, real for that person. you're mm-hmm. experiencing mm-hmm. it, and the same areas of the brain that are active when you see the person, you know, who is in front of you, are active again when you're you know, seeing them again, when you're perceiving them again. So um, I think there's interesting connections between different approaches, both research and you know, other sort of cultural approaches. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's taking it, and it's it's uh, kind of like what, just to reiterate what you were saying earlier, but, um, yeah, just allowing people to look at a problem and not just have to follow this one formula, but to be able to mm-hmm. use multiple perspectives to come up with multiple solutions, because mm-hmm. most of these issues that a lot of these minority groups are facing is a cumulative amount of, um, like, barriers that are being put on them. Um, So just being able to, like, go in there and just, like, kind of shine a light and, like, let these people feel like they're actually seen, especially when they're reporting a lot of the times that they feel invisible. It's just very, like... I don't know. This is a very like uplifting podcast. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. I'm, this is such a you this is just so really awesome to hear about. Because actually, you know, the whole bringing politics over. But I mean, mm-hmm. actually, a lot of the research actually suggests pretty clear policy 
prescriptions like you should yeah. probably we should probably be doing this yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. like i mean for example like a big thing you get in schools right is sleep yeah. and mm-hmm. you know in some schools like in fort vancouver and clark county actually they start at 7 30 in the morning or 7 20 in the morning and that's you know there's a normal shift in circadian cycles for mm-hmm. young people and um they can't get to bed before midnight or one o'clock or something there's a a certain group that can't get to sleep before three or four. Yeah, oh, wow. And so they're chronically sleep-deprived when yeah. they come in. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for brain development or anything else. Or, and, you know, there was a study we always tell them about in Seattle, right? The Sleep Warren stu- uh, Seattle study where they just moved um, start times by one hour forward. And the rates of, like, um, you know, for example, uh, academic performance went way up. Mm-hmm. You know, attendance went way up. But actually, um, diagnoses of like ADHD and depression and anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, actual suicide, actual deaths because of like traffic accidents, et cetera, went mm. way down. Wow. So, I mean, it's like, okay, I mean, this is pretty clear data. <laughs> yeah. It's based on the actual physiology and biology of you know, development. Mm-hmm. But when we were talking about skulls um, and how you guys come to procure uh, uh, the brains and the skulls, and... Um, it's very interesting because these are very fresh usually when you guys are given them because yeah. mm-hmm. you, to have them for a long duration. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had discussed with how they actually go about cleaning skulls. Um, yeah. And because we were like, well, how do, how would you get, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, we tried, right? We, we got, yeah. as part of the synopsis of the stories, there was a, uh, we were donated animal heads. And so we were going to bring all these, including including an entire fox that had been hit by a car. So we, I actually, I remember this, because I remember walking, I think I was like, we had, like, I I just, I was walking back to your house, and I was like, how are we going to get these skulls out? Like, how are we going to get this thing? And so I signed on, I had this idea, like, I might call the folks who got us the human brains. Yeah. Maybe we can bring them in, and then maybe they'd be curious to learn. Yeah. And so they had really good tools, and so we ended up, um, they thought it was a great idea. And so we brought a whole bunch of our folks in there. Um, there's a little video on our, our blog, actually, oh, okay. of, the, of what we were doing. But um, <clears throat> we um, did stop at a certain point because we couldn't clean them off. Mm. Um, yeah, it's harder than you think. Harder than you think. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a time-honored taxidermist way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are these beetles. <laughs> <laughs> that will just literally eat everything. So they just use the bugs. They mm-hmm. use bugs. And it takes a little while. Yeah, they'll, they'll just literally go to Clean it all off. Clean it all up, and they're quite impressive. I would not think that that was technology that would still be used. Isn't that you would think that there would have been something developed more so than yeah. bugs. I personally didn't even really know that OHSU had a grad program just because there being uh, typically no undergrad right, factor. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And they, you know, it, it seems weird to us actually that you have like this premier, you know, kind of um, medical school and also mm-hmm. like graduate program in neuroscience, behavioral neuroscience, et cetera. Um, but there is no undergraduate, you know, uh, you know, contingent up on the yeah. hill itself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the connections then with Portland State, you would think in terms of neuroscience would be stronger Um, and you know I think they're getting stronger so we're trying like I think we were mentioning before we started but um, to put in place a new neuroscience minor Mm -hmm. because currently as you guys know wow we had a a concentration which is literally just like looking through the catalog and finding courses that would be useful to have if you were going to be going to grad school (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we want to um, make it a little more 
formalized and actually, um, you know, to that end, you know, some courses that have run as what we call Psych 410 courses, right, mm -hmm. um, for many years, um, one on psychopharmacology uh, and another, the Advanced neuro Neurophysiological Psychology class that incorporates grad students from OHSU, uh, Behavioral Neuroscience, are now going to be numbered courses starting in the fall. Okay. So, and they're going to be components, basically, of the neuroscience minor. Okay. Um, and, you know, we actually did this partly because we were looking around, and this is like Radica Reddy um, and Suzanne Estes in biology um, at, like, you know, um, uh, neuroscience minor programs at other institutions around the area. And, you know, we have all the courses that they've got. We've got the same courses. I mean, some of them had to be converted from 410s. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it was not, doesn't require, like, a lot of new courses yet. One of the first things I said to you when we met was that there needs to be way more of an emphasis here at PSU with yeah. neurology. Um, and I mean, per, maybe I'm a little biased, but the psychology field itself is such a wide um, major for no. most people. Mm -hmm. And it honestly doesn't have a lot of required courses. Psych is just really on the student to like teach themselves and those kind of are like guide, guide themselves. On what they want. And, exactly. Yeah. I feel, I just, I don't know, after now being a senior, I just totally feel like there needs to be. Uh, some sort of required course, it, whether it be in neuroscience or neurophysiology or something, because they just kind of leave it up to take 12 credits in a science course mm -hmm. if you do the BS. But I just think it's it's a little disturbing when you have some students, as a when you're a peer advisor and they come into your office and they're like, oh, why do I need to know what a neuron is? Constantly the biological, like, yeah. neural factor is just very pushed aside. That's yeah. something our bias, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's it, very common just for PSU and a lot of our classes to, mm -hmm. to constantly demonize uh, medication and prescribing medications for certain disorders that have actual, like, systems to show that there's a depletion in some sort of hormone that if you take this... You can be regulated mm -hmm. by a lot of mm -hmm. times with just having your thyroid checked. You can realize that oh, yeah, yeah. you actually Some, don't need depression. Yeah. And yeah. there's yeah. cases of like students that they've been seeing a therapist for X amount of years and they didn't even know that they had a thyroid issue. And then they right. finally wow. mention wow. something yeah. to their doctor and then they actually no longer needed treatment because right. they get thyroid medication. Yeah, and it just gets yeah. so... Yeah. If a therapist is, in, is licensed and doesn't know about these things... Uh, you're kind of limiting the amount you can help, help your people. client. And I don't know, that might just be my well, we always, opinion. We always talk but about it. I mean, actually, if you, if you want to know how things work, right, and what's going on, you, you want to look at the physiology. You want to look at the structure to sort of give you more insight into what's going on functionally. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's one of my... I remember when I was in... Um, uh, undergrad uh, in neuroscience, but it was like there were all these classes in uh, cognitive science, and I just remember there was like the most frustrating courses because they were like they had all this terminology, and there were all these like kind of black box diagrams. Like it was like this went here, and then it goes to here. That constrains you know some of the theorizing in psychology, um, and uh, it also definitely constrains like some of the the growth in vocabulary and terminology that you're supposed to learn because this is this other guy because this other person who's got this approach and this theory but it's not tied to any actual physiology exactly. and, yeah and it's really frustrating and, and, and in school with the schools of education it's like this too it's just like I remember when I was in uh, grad school, I, I really wanted to teach in high school, mm. and there was like a clarion call, like for to get people, you know, um, you know, who were experts in the sciences or had been trained in the sciences into public classrooms, and then I realized that um, I would have to take like a one-year teaching certificate or whatever, and I checked in PSU, and I remember 
there was not one course in science or like teaching science specifically. It was all this education theory. And I like started looking at these things and I was like, no, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> I want something like that is actually kind of real. That, I mean, again, this is not so philosophical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that was, I had a strong sense that I was going to get more insight mm-hmm. into the questions that I'm really interested in. I find that a lot with some classes here at PSUs. They can tend to be a little bit more tentative and not want to dive into some more of the hot topics, whether it's just to kind of keep safe. But, I mean, I think those are the things that are really, like, are cementing for a lot of people. And it's like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I had. My goal was was understanding this, and I kind of more got an overview than the actual, like, yeah. You can Mm -hmm. absolutely ask any question you want. I mean, like, we don't necessarily have any all the answers here, but you can – we get questions from kids that are really – powerful, right? I mean, and actually, but then they, there is research that will give them some insight. The most powerful is to connect the mm-hmm. two. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, Especially when it comes mm-hmm. into a lot of the times people will focus on not preventative measures, but more so just um, how do I take care of this right now? Because this issue just happened yeah. and yes, I need huh? something to carry mm-hmm. me over until next time. But it's like if you can actually find what it is that's yeah. causing this instead of just having to manage with it, I mean, that's the whole goal, right? <laughs> we're, we're always really big, too, about trying to, like, make it clear of the limitations, you know, of what, you know, the techniques that we currently have available yeah. to mm-hmm. study the brain, too. I mean, like, there are, you know, there are issues, there, there are concerns about, like, you know, you show people, like, an, an MRI, an fMRI scan or something like that, and everybody's immediately convinced. And, like, yeah, all yeah. Right, like actually, there's... That's not measuring actual brain activity. That's mm-hmm. measuring blood flow changes that, mm-hmm. you know, are correlated with, you know, changes in brain activity. And mm-hmm. yeah. so we, we, and there's like, there are limits in terms of these techniques that we want to make clear. Uh, but, I, you know, there are refinements in techniques that are occurring. And, you know, we, I always like the idea that when we're in these schools too, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, these adolescent brains, they have so many more brain cells. And, but, but note that you guys are the ones, you know, can, you could, the next stage, what happens now? You know, how do you refine mm-hmm. some of these? Or some of these, these are some questions, or you will see things that we don't. And yeah. So, yeah, it's really very exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Children are great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Neuroscience is obviously a heavy topic, but how did you guys get interested in it when you were younger? I, I, had, I have no background in neuroscience other than the work that we've done together. Um, so I, I don't, I never felt like it was that big of a stretch to, to oh, yeah. you know, want to know more about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always just wanted to know, like, you know, why am I the way I am? Why do people mm-hmm. act the way mm-hmm. they do? I mean, I was really interested in, like, what was going on? Like, why am I even here? Like, why do I have, why do I have ideas or thoughts or perceptions. I mean, I was like really curious about that kind of stuff. So I, you know, went into sort of psychology, but um, then I, I went to Brown University and they had a neuroscience program. And that was one of the earlier neuroscience programs and I got completely hooked by studying the actual physiology. I wanted to know, I thought that felt like yeah. this is the best way in to those questions, those kind of mm-hmm. questions that everybody kind of has, like, why are you here? Like, yeah. why are we, like what's going yeah. on? I just kept, I was just hooked. And like, mm-hmm. we find that in classes too. It's like, it's a topic, you know, and, and actually art is very similar that way too. Yeah. Art is very compelling to make art. And like, sometimes people are, like, I didn't really want to, you know, at first I'm like, I don't know how to draw. Or like, you explore aspects of, perception and cognition and behavior by doing things. Uh, Brown was pretty 
free, so you could sort of design your own independent course. I didn't really have to declare anything until later, mm -hmm. but I, I, I definitely, pretty early on, was more interested in neuroscience. So I, I started taking like biochemistry, and organic chemistry, and all that kind of stuff, and some psychology classes. There's a brain and behavior class. Mm -hmm. in fact, but, um, Where did you grow up at then? I grew up in a, a, a town called Dobbs Ferry, New York. So oh, it's okay. just north of New York City. Uh, it's a town of about 10,000 people. I went to Dobbs Ferry Public High School, and it was only about 400 kids in the high school, actually. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, I liked it a lot. It was a very, it was a very, uh, it, it was split between, it was Italian and Catholic, and it was uh, Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so we had like, literally, like, we had five pizza parlors and five delis. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was neither Catholic nor Jewish. <laughs> so, Just somewhere in the middle. But it was actually interesting, because it was, I think I do kind of crowded out a little bit with like, part of my interest in like, who I am, what's going on, because mm -hmm. I was always being taken like, to this service or that service and yeah. I thought it was really interesting like, yeah. uh, the, there's a Catholic youth group that I went to and they had like incense and it was really intense and then uh, it was some Latin and all this and then there was like a, 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 a synagogue where it was in a former like car dealership and it had like four restaurants <laughs> but it was like a class they actually they were up there and they were going to discuss a topic today and we'd like your feedback it was like mm -hmm. it was totally different and it was oh, interesting sort of cultural yeah, yeah so you're open to a lot of diversities when you're growing up yeah so that absolutely just yeah, yeah it was, it was sparked like, all the questions very interesting, actually. yeah New York is like crazy because it's got all these different levels of government so there, we were in like the was, I guess it was the village down in Surrey, but it was in the town of Greenberg and the county of Westchester and this and this. They had like all these <laughs> things. So funny. Was, they were like, you know, the, the towns rolled right into each other. So it was completely urbanized. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Got to segment it, but yeah. it's pretty much yeah. fluid. Although, you know, like here, I mean, it, it developed dramatically while yeah. I was growing up. And one of the things I always think that always strikes me is that when I was born, like there were three and a half billion people on the brains on the planet. And now there's like over seven billion. Oh, so yeah. just in the time that I've been like here, it's kind of weird. Like the entire population of the planet has more than doubled. Yeah, can you feel <laughs> it? Can you tell <laughs> when you when you revisit and you're traveling? Yeah, so it's the like... only concept has really changed. It's interesting, and that's how the brain kind of responds. You know, interesting. It's changing social circumstances. And then I did a little bit of research on you, Joe, uh, just because this is our first time meeting. Um, so I know you're from the California Bay yep. Area, yep. Um, and you went to San Francisco Art Institute, yeah. and that's where you got your Bachelor's of Arts, um, and then UC Davis for Master's in um, Fine Arts. Okay. Just from New York to California, where was... what? I mean, you guys met while your kids were teach or while your kids were going to school, so, or so I didn't. I, after uh, college, when I graduated, I actually uh, taught English in Japan for a year. This program called the Jet Program. Oh, okay. Um, and so uh, I went overseas and just like uh, was in a very small town in Shikoku, uh, Inaka, like the middle of nowhere, and you know had to learn like very like a like a dialect of Japanese. And had a, an amazing okay. time. I taught in like ten different schools. I was really interested in going back. So one of the things you had asked earlier about like. Um, like, are there ways you tried to cut costs when you were in college? And so mm -hmm. one thing I did was I actually, like, formally withdrew out, out of Brown. Um, so, like, the first year, my um, dad worked for a university in New York, and so they covered that first year, but not after that. So the second mm -hmm. year, it was more expensive. And then mm -hmm. the third year, I was like, okay, what do I do? So I actually <laughs> figured out, like, I could apply to universities overseas. So I applied to the University of Sussex in the U.K., oh. and I just applied directly. 
and I got in. And so um, talked to like um, the history department, and uh, it was the literature department because I, I I was taking neuroscience, but I wanted mm -hmm. to do something totally different. So I actually wanted to teach. I wanted to study. American history and literature, but in the UK, I thought that'd be kind of interesting. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a different yeah. perspective on American history. Yeah. yeah, so so I ended up going over there, and then I had to work out that transfer back. So I had done that before I went to Japan. So I had a friend who I'd met over there, and then we thought, let's like get back to the UK sometime. We had a really good time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a lot of pints, whatever, but we had a really good time. <laughs> so then I remember I um, uh, thought, let's write a guidebook to help other students do the same thing and save money. So I actually wrote like this, like a sample chapter. We're going to go talk about all the different universities and send it off to like uh, like a hundred hundred uh, publishing companies. There's something called the Literary Marketplace, a big book, and I went through it. And the very first one I sent it to was up in Maine, Yarmouth, Maine, called the Intercultural Press, and they accepted it. Wow. So I, it was great because yeah. this is like so different, again, very different time, but like I got a writer's visa, which was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a five-year visa, and you could go into the UK, you had to go get it renewed every year, um, but you could take any job and to wow. support yourself while you're there working on it. So I ended up working for Au Pair in America and interviewed like uh, au pairs who wanted to come to the United States. And uh, it was great. And I met my husband in the UK, too. Wow. So uh, uh, Bob was actually um, working at the Fulbright Commission. He was on a, another kind of a study abroad thing called CIEE. Um, and so we lived there for like three years in the UK, which was mm -hmm. pretty awesome. And then, let's see, we came back, and then I worked for a college that had study abroad programs. They were based in Pennsylvania, but they wanted me on the West Coast. So we drove okay. across the country, and I lived in L.A. for like 18 months, and then they said you could live anywhere on the West Coast, so I, I really wanted to go back. I liked Portland a lot, because it felt more like East Coast a little bit. It felt like, mm -hmm. yeah, you could walk around, yeah. the weather, mm -hmm. it, had, it had actual seasons. You know, we ended up, um, um, I, I ended up working for that college for a while longer, and then there was a really cool um, organization called the Oregon Partnership for International Education. Um, and like I literally, uh, actually Bob found it. He just saw it and walked in and said, yeah, are you, what's, what is this? Whatever. And then um, I ended up applying and I became the, the coordinating officer. And it was Reed College and Lewis and Clark. I think Portland State was part of it. Uh, but there was a university in Japan, Waseda University. And they had this program where they would take their faculty uh, and bring them with their students to Portland in the summer, and then mm. we would take our faculty and students to Japan. So it was wow. awesome. I had That's this like really cool. office on the seventeenth floor of the Coin Center. It was wild. That's and then like uh, I had, a, it was like I've never earned as much money. It was like kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like and then like uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I decided for some crazy reason to go back to college to go to university, grad school. So what was the? Because I think this is a really important thing to kind of hammer home to a lot of people that might be listening, but what was the duration in between after you had received your um, undergrad to when you decided to go into? I think it was at least 10 years. I took about 10 years off, actually, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, just did a lot of travel, you know, you know, for these jobs, like, would study abroad and be, like, all over the U.S. and then overseas. And it was actually really great. Right when I got through grad school, we, you know, um, uh, I adopted, we adopted our first son, um, uh, Dominic, and then uh, like literally a day after I defended my thesis, um, Kai and I arrived our, our second son. So um, yeah, it was kind of, and then then that, that was also like a crazy thing in some ways because then you're off the track again, you mm -hmm. know, for, uh, you know, becoming, you know, a full professor or whatever, yeah. I mean, because you're, yeah. 
I wasn't doing a postdoc. I had okay. two boys, mm-hmm. Amzi, and you know we were playing. We were play parks around. The, mm-hmm. we were, I was hiking with both of them in backpacks. But actually, that was another great cross cultural experience. And I really loved that too. So nice. Wow. Um, How would you compare since you did schooling in the yeah. UK? Yeah, There's yeah. their education system versus ours. I loved it. Actually, it was really interesting. There were like four people in my class or something. That, that when you would take a class, it would be like just the, the lecturer and like four of us. And we'd be sitting in a little room and we'd be discussing literature or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was we were. And so you, you couldn't hide in the back of the class. Yeah. <laughs> you I didn't really do the reading for today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I liked it a lot. It was really, uh, it was it was very different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was used to much bigger classes. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, how, um, just because I also asked Bill yeah. this question too, um, how long did you transition right into your master's yeah. program I, or did you take time I was out, out for a year. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I also, I, I had a kind of non- traditional path to college anyways, so I, I never finished high school. I left when I was 16, and I kind of um, floated around for years after that before I actually uh, went through community college mm-hmm. and then uh, transferred to a four-year school. I had actually always, yeah, I didn't have a very good high school experience, as many people don't, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, but I had always had in mind that I had wanted to go to to uh, college, hmm. although I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do there. It really it was it was in part uh, that that experience at community college that really sort of solidified that. Like I I know what I want to do, you know, and yeah. I needed time to to be able to figure that out. It's interesting to me because the more students you talk to, the more you find that that the path that you would assume is sort of the traditional one mm-hmm. is not it's really not yeah mm-hmm. the, 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 it's much more common to see um, gaps and kind of uh, people uh, branching off in uh, other directions and definitely and, and uh, um, taking sort of alternative career paths because the the ones that are uh, people are normally told like this is the path you know mm-hmm. they either don't exist or or it's just really it's it's not actually most people don't end up there so yeah yeah or it's completely yeah. overcrowded right, right. yeah yeah. But yeah that's that's the whole goal with right. with this podcast is just to show that there's yeah. no yeah. wrong way to go about college right. no and actually um, when you go and take those detours and you work I mean detour when you, you do something else basically it's, well it's it feels like a detour sometimes right yeah, it that's can actually, but probably why such benefit in that. Yeah. I mean, you learn from those experiences things that will Serve you very well later. In fact, when I went to Faber Mercer, I remember they were saying that at least some of the interviews, I don't all of it, but they they actually appreciated like if if you had taken time off and decided later with more mm-hmm. experience that this is what you really wanted to do is to yeah. go in a graduate yeah. program. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And life experience can steer you in so many different directions. Right. You can go straight through college and get into a career and decide, wow, this is really not what I wanted. It's different for everybody. It's so different for everybody. I think a lot of times people don't really, you know, you get kind of blinders on that Mm -hmm. that this is the path that that you need to take. And if you veered off of that, then it's bad. But, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, your people's, degrees, like what they're learning, what they're going at, uh, you know, uh, 
the school for mm-hmm. um, had, has a much broader value than they realize. Part of like having those other experiences, it really helps you to kind of uh, remain open and see like, oh, I could do these other things. So this is actually applicable over here. I can, you know, there's there's actually a, a lot more than you can that you can do besides just that. To, Mm-hmm. On a traditional path, and sometimes you know, if if, if it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. yeah, you make it yourself. So, so yeah, really definitely, I would say that's exactly what you guys are doing right now. But just being able to sit back and not have to stress about because when you're um, for those who are listening and you're not in your senior year yet, and how uh, applying for uh, grad colleges usually tend to work is your junior year, you'll start to explore um, colleges you're interested in um, going to and extending your study. Which is a little interesting considering that a lot of people that are in psych don't really kind of find their passion until they're a senior. At least that was the case for me. And from what I've talked to with other students, that kind of tends to be that because you just explore so many more courses in that amount of time. It just kind of felt like we were being bottlenecked to a certain point, And it was just like you kind of have to make a choice yeah. now because time's running out. Right, yeah. you're, you're a senior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then so by the time you're a senior, you have your GREs that you're doing. You have mm-hmm. for uh, colleges that are still accepting those. It goes on and on. But now, like, the list are, of where I'm sitting now, it's gotten actually weight. Like, the, <laughs> the weight has been lifted off my shoulders to the point where it's like I'm so happy with actually, like, I started getting almost miserable about graduating because you don't have time to really appreciate the work you put into it. It's now, it's actually, I get to sit here and I actually get to think of all the things I want to do with my degree. Like, mm-hmm. I remember sitting with my advisor with Scott Broussard and I sat down and I was like, so what can I do? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what should I be applying for? What um, opportunities are available to me? And it's like the more that I've been looking into things that you can do, it's just like I never even considered this option, never even considered that. And it's yeah. just like yeah. mm-hmm. going and ex- taking, it's like I honestly don't even, I think I might want to, I've been saying I want to take just a year off for grad school, but at this point I'm just like, wow, maybe I want to take yeah, a few years time. off because exactly. it's just there's so much out there that yeah. you don't even realize until you start looking. And then you didn't even realize you are interested in something until you get embedded in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know how you felt with this, with having, I mean, I kind of had a little bit anxiety with being like, oh, well then I know, cause this is, that tends to be the, the stigma is that, oh, but I know by this time next year, I really wish I was in that program so I could yeah. just get it done and over with. But yeah. it's like, you don't really want to go into a program to yeah. say to get it done and over with. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. it should really yeah. question, yeah. um, yeah. Like with what you're what you're wanting to do and what your heart is, especially if you're thinking yeah. along those lines. I've had some students yeah. that come in and they're like, "Just register me for whatever. I'm just done." And I'm just like, "I can't register you for whatever. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. not how do you, especially works. a psych major. It's all elective. Yeah. What do you want?" Yeah, I think when you're in college, it feels like there's this weird like hourglass of like, "Oh, time's running out. You got to finish constantly. So you got to finish. You got to finish. Mm-hmm. You're almost done. You got to finish, and then, and then you got to move on to the next thing, and then whatever." Um, But no, I definitely did the same thing, and I planned on going into grad school immediately after, and I made the decision not to, um, kind of through conversations that I had with people. One of them was actually my dad, and I was having a conversation with him about, like, okay, well, I need to do this and this and this to get into grad school. And he's like, well, you don't even have your bachelor's degree yet. I was like, okay, good point. He's like, you haven't actually even graduated yet, so why are you so focused on the next thing and I'm like yeah you're right and then I'm like 
I'm a senior. Like, I'm graduating college this year. That's kind of awesome. And thank you. (laughs) And it's not, I, I, before this, this winter term was when I kind of decided, like, yeah, okay, I'm going to take a year off. Before that, I don't think I actually appreciated all the work that I put in beforehand. Yeah, Yeah, you should really be celebrating this. I mean, this is awesome. Yeah. Graduating college is a big accomplishment for anybody, and it's... I think probably for psychology in particular, just because grad school is such a huge thing, it's kind of overlooked the accomplishment of like you got a bachelor's degree. Yeah, you're ahead of the you're ahead of the game. It gets way overemphasized the because it's not. We were kind of talking about this in one of our peer advising meetings. Was that it's it's very expected for psychology majors um, to then continue on their education. So it's like mm-hmm. the bachelor's degree is kind of more of a checklist item. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas it's really not common for a lot of other majors to you just get your bachelor's and that's what you, you need it, yeah. and you don't have to go on to continue your you know one of the things I think about the noggin kind of opportunities is that we it, it's really exciting to see students who are like undergrads who are you know even like we just had a bunch of the uh, freshman students from university studies we have a, a science of creativity and learning course um, they loved being in a school like it's suddenly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. They, it, it sort of opens up your eyes like I could actually work here. Yeah. Like, yes. This is a job yeah. that, that I could have if I wanted to. And then, you know, we go, we've been at the McLaren Correctional Facility or Coffee Creek Correctional Facility mm-hmm. or Pear. Like, we've had a number of our PSU undergraduates who ended up, like, um, becoming sort of full-time, you know, volunteers at Pear and then setting up programs at Pear. Like, mm-hmm. um, remember Sam Carpenter uh, set up an outdoor program and Jordan, Ray, et cetera. So, I mean, it's like... Um, we love that idea that, uh, you know, part of, like, actually, you could be in classrooms and you could be learning, studying psychology, studying all these things, but then, like, uh, and you could take a class on career options and things like that, mm-hmm. but it's different than actually going out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. People who have those jobs, and, you know, it goes two ways, too, because I, I like that this is also kind of cool, because not only um, you say, I might want to work there, but if you decide you want to apply there, mm-hmm. people have seen you. So, again, there is that idea of this sort of traditional route, basically, yeah. and then there is this idea these alternative careers, whatever, in science or something like that. But the reality is that traditional route is an alternative career in science because Mm -hmm. it's so narrow and there's so few, like, jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people end up, you know, working in education or working in policy or working, you know, in government or working, like, they work in all different areas, basically. And I'm assuming yeah. it'd be the same with a degree it, it in is, art. Yeah. Like, you didn't think, like, oh, I'm going to end up working with a ner- in neuroscience and brains and that no. kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think in part, you know, they, uh, and this is, this is an institutional sort of problem, I think, is what it, that uh, everybody wants to maintain some purity in, in their field. Yeah. And anything outside yeah. of that is watering it down rather than seeing it as adding to it. Totally. Enriching it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Um, so it, it is hard. I mean, we've run into this uh, numerous times trying to work across disciplines, across departments, and there's resistance to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, when we were at WC where we did the art and brain class, yeah. right? And there was like a call for like a, you know, yeah. an interdisciplinary course, mm-hmm. and new interdisciplinary courses. So we put together... 
interdisciplinary the perception class, basically, that we teach at World State. Yeah. Yes. And it like, oh my god, I got sent back all the time, like, where's the neuroscience? Oh my god. It was like, yeah, it's so <laughs> much neuroscience. But the guys that were on that review committee were like, just like, were freaked out by the art. They're like, what is this art? Specifically, as for a, uh, these uh, um, uh, um, kind of, uh, um, uh, arts, you know, interdisciplinary classes, mm -hmm. and but they didn't really want it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds they great in theory. They actually are faced with the syllabus. But they approved it. They did. We did, we did, and that was actually the genesis for the class that we teach here. Yeah, exactly. Well. So, but uh, it, it, was, it was hard to get it through because um, a lot of times, you know, I, I mean, I don't think they really knew what it exactly it, it was that they would want, um, but people are kind of fearful of something that seems like different than yeah. what yeah. they've already seen. It was yeah. funny this weekend, if I remember the, uh, the uh, Innovation, the Frontiers yeah. Conference, like, uh, so it was weird, like out of the blue, we get this like invitation, like the two of us to come, 500 people there that Obama, the Obama White House is inviting to an innovate, innovators conference. Yeah. So at the time, it was kind of crazy because if you're like Adjunct, you're like, you teach everywhere. So mm -hmm. I actually got hired on for a full year position at WSU Vancouver and a full year position at Portland State. Oh, and wow. I was like, what do I do? And then like we went to this thing and it was pretty amazing and they were talking about, I remember he talked for like two hours on the stage about, like it was really cool actually. I, I, I got to show him, we got to show him a, a, yeah. a pipe cleaner neuron and he's like, oh, these are really cool. <laughs> institutions start out, you know, with specific names, like they're gonna, you know, service and do this, et cetera. But then they build up a, a, a structure mm -hmm. and then suddenly their aim becomes more around the preservation of that structure yeah. and not so much, you know, doing the things that they're kind of set up to do. And at WSU, for example, remember they, they told us, why are you putting art? They didn't like any art. We were trying to put yeah. art in the office, like on the wall, like student yeah. art from perception class. Yeah. They wanted us to take it all down. No, oh, really? They, yeah, exactly. And then they were really upset that we were um, was it, uh, in, uh, uh, talking about students from other campuses. Oh, yeah. If we were branded, you're supposed um, to only, everything was supposed to benefit just this institution. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And yeah. we were just like, what? <laughs> so that was a direct example of what I thought. I think they're initially when they when they saw it they 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 thought it was kind of uh, watering down of, of uh, the science content yeah, yeah exactly mm. so, okay um, you know and in part in, in part because they, they really it's hard to really see what it's going to look like if mm. you if you have and you know been in there and, and uh, uh, taking a look at what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I, they, they, I'm sure, had some assumptions about, mm -hmm. you know, what that would look like, and, and they felt like, oh, this is just, like, taking mm -hmm. away from this. Yeah. But, it, but part of the, the other thing is that that makes it uh, really hard to actually do any interdisciplinary work. Yeah. That, you know, so... Definitely. Uh, which is what they were asking for in the first place. And the reality yeah. is that that course brought in like over yeah. almost 40% of all new yeah. neuroscience students yeah. into their program. Yeah. Because the art truly engages yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, so many well, people and yeah. gives them insight. Yeah. <laughs> From a student's perspective, you'd think like, 
are you going to remember that one exam you took in your neuroscience yeah. class your exactly. junior year? Yeah. Or are you going to remember that one time when you and a bunch of your classmates built uh, made a neuron out of yeah. pipe cleaners? Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that content's just going to stick. And most of the courses now, as you know, right, there's an art component, yeah. you know, that we, that I, that's been sort of added in. And um, it's the most enjoyable, I think, part. I mean, it's not, sometimes it'll stress people out because they, like, they might also, right? It's just so foreign. It's yeah. so foreign. It just doesn't happen. So yeah. when it does happen, you're kind of almost like, well, how... What? How, How do, do I do this? How do I go perfect? about this? But How? I get, I get such. I mean, the feedback is, and so we, you saw that like the that we had like a sort of a gallery show. Like yeah. one night. It was yeah. like, kind of man. We just one after the other. Like this is extraordinary. And I think it speaks to how everybody learns things differently. Yeah. And everybody has a different learning style, and being able to interpret that and make it your own yeah. makes it better and mm-hmm. makes the material more real for you. And memorable. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's actually really there's significant research on how actually incorporating arts into STEM. Yeah. Um, you know, improves retention for the material significantly. Yeah. Uh, Meryl Hardman and other researchers have found that pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of, I mean, I'm sure with what will be discussed um, next Thursday on the 12th, when you guys have uh, stress man- or stress and um, the effects, uh, can you, can you where it's like stress and the oh, effects of... Oh, um, stress and effects on childhood development. And childhood yeah, development. Yeah, of course, yeah. um, but then this like, I mean, pairing that up, I mean, mm-hmm. when you have a high stress situation with being in college and then being able to take something that's a learning opportunity and have it not be stress- stressful mm-hmm. in of itself, like mm-hmm. that's, it's like and it's a de-stressing oh, yeah. therapeutic <laughs> yeah. thing that you can actually do. Yeah, exactly. It's and just... Who knew it was possible? Yeah, and you'll, learn, and you'll actually <laughs> teach others to me because that's amazing to see what you do. Yeah. So you, you feel proud about what you do. Mm-hmm. So it makes you want to talk to other people and people that might not even be in your class, especially if you're walking around yeah. with some giant thing. Yeah. <laughs> Someone stops you and asks you what it is. So we, should take, we should take the work from that class and like put it on the wall. And, you know, we will take <laughs> any of the work in the peer advising office. We've really? been okay. fighting we'll it. for the yeah. brain. Oh, yeah. Me and Megan. We want the brain. Us and Megan. We've had some pushback, but we want the brain. Yeah. I remember, um, actually, it felt really at home in the peer advising office um, just because it was so. um, I took AP Psych when I was a senior at David Douglas High School. um, And my, oh my gosh, she was just the most wonderful woman who taught that course. but she had us do the actually the pipe cleaner neurons. We we just were at the because we go ahead sorry yeah, yeah. Um, she she doesn't teach there anymore but oh, she because she had retired I want to say uh, probably f- four years ago she retired I think yeah she she just loved psychology she had us actually do the neurons yeah. of the pipe cleaners That's and awesome. when you walked into her class she had every all of her past classes she yeah. would hang the neurons from the ceiling mm-hmm. so you just walked in there and it was just a sea of neurons yeah. just above you that is awesome and it they was were, just they were still doing that they had like really like cool ones that were made out of awesome. metal yeah. it was actually oh so it's expanded huh? then mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and so just seeing that in your guys' neurons because we had them yeah. um, just a few of them not as mm-hmm. intense because it's such a very small office but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man I just walked in there and I was just like having flashbacks of like, like yeah that's like awesome. oh my god but it also just makes people curious they walk in they're like tell me about this yeah <laughs> like our brain i'll tell you all about it with heather roberts there's oh, a yeah. reporter who was in the classroom at uh Hosford middle school oh, okay yeah mm-hmm. but it was very funny because um they contacted originally because they were like um we would like to talk about the coronavirus and mm-hmm. it's you know basically um how the brain handles you know stress and anxiety and steps we could take and things like that and they wanted me to come in the middle of the time we were going to be at hospital. So I said, I'm going to be at public school. So I sent them that. They said, well, we can come to 
Hotspur to talk about the coronavirus. Probably not. Maybe. I said that it depends on what the students are interested in because it's led by yeah. their questions. Not We don't say, we're yeah. here to tell you about alcohol in your brain. Or then uh, they said, wow, we really like this program. We just want to come and see the program. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's really okay, cool. It was really cool. It was very cool. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they just posted it. Apparently they just posted it, yeah. Posted but, a, a story on it right now? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it. But <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing because literally we were in there at 9 o'clock in the morning and they had like a camera like uh, about six inches from your face and you're like what was going on I'm not used to this <laughs> yeah I'm glad that's... we're not doing this <laughs> yeah that's this a lot of really yeah that's a lot of relaxing that's probably one of the first responses we get is am I going to be on tape <laughs> and then as soon as we say no it's like instantly oh okay then yeah, I can do this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah how does how how has that gone? Because I know um, the other day you got uh, several um, people that were reaching out from several different uh, news stations oh that wanted God, you to talk about... KPTV, uh, COIN, KGW, uh, like the Business Journal, the Oregonian, the Salem Reporter. It was like, wow. It was like, it was buzzing like crazy in class. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, so I, I talked to KXL Radio and then also um, the Oregonian and they put something in. So I haven't heard that. I haven't looked for KXL, but yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, actually, I really did feel like we were talking about it before. Like, um, it's important to speak up or to say something. I mean, mm-hmm. to the limits of what it is that you actually know something about. Maybe I know, you know, potentially where to get good, better sources mm-hmm. of information, mm-hmm. and how having inadequate sources or even like um, intentionally inadequate sources, you know, which is sometimes what we're getting at this point. Um, yeah, you know, can really raise the emotional temperature, make it make people more anxious, you know, and also make them, you know, they end up doing things that are not necessarily the best for their health or their family's health or our community's health, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, we were saying how it's just kind of like some people are being very alarmed by this and, like, just the preventative measures that some people are taking. Um, it, I mean, it's the coronavirus is here. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not it's like it's... For a while. Yeah, it's, it's... Likely, it seems, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about how it's... How it would basically go about being facilitated um, within the community and those that are actually more at risk yeah. versus, mm-hmm. like, the way in which it's portrayed in the media for those that are at risk. Because mm-hmm. in general, they would just say, oh, children and the elderly are the ones that are most at risk. Mm-hmm. But they tend to miss... A larger yeah, portion, absolutely. Of, yeah. People um, who are not getting, you know, I keep thinking like a lot about like people who don't get adequate sleep, for example, that suppresses immune function. Mm-hmm. So you're more likely to, you know, get infected or you know, potentially suffer a more significant, you know, infection. The other thing is that people don't have access in many communities to yeah. adequate health care. Yeah. You know, um, actually, uh, in the Oregon too, it's interesting because uh, the the reporter was asking about like so. What's you know stopping people from staying home? Is it is it just that good old I forgot how the good old American oh. like you know uh, tendency to you know to, to just push on through and you know <laughs> like I was like no it's like people don't have access to healthcare and they can't take time off work they put that in there and they actually um, there is I think the Democratic controlled legislature actually did push something through around that you have to provide at least five days of you know, time off yeah. for illness. But, you know, part of it is with the virus, like the coronavirus, you have to be quarantined for like two weeks so that mm-hmm. already you're not protected after the first yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a little not so good. That's very much not so good. You don't even, it's not like you go 
to the grocery store and you know, like, I'm going to buy like milk or something, mm-hmm. you can see the price or something. Totally, like that. Totally. You go to the doctor, you have no idea. Yeah. Definitely adds anxiety, mm-hmm. but yeah. stress, yeah. sleeplessness, yeah. reduces yeah. immune function. And I had heard yeah. that getting tested for the coronavirus is extremely expensive in itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's ridiculous too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the fact that it's just, you can be very atypical too. So you might not even know you have it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Since we're kind of on the topic of uh, barriers that certain people are facing, um, just kind of go back into college life. What do you guys think were some of the barriers that you guys had to overcome? More so in your undergrad years, not so much more now with uh, with Northwest Noggin and um, having to develop that portion. But I had a tremendous privilege, obviously, because you know my parents, my dad worked for a university, so there was a year that was already paid for for if I went someplace, and there was sort of an expectation in our household that we would just go to college. You know, and then. You know, when I got there, I mean, there was like all the things that you, because I'd never been away from home like this, so that was new. Um, And, you know, trying to make friends and like figure out what I want to do and Mm -hmm. take classes and struggle academically and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, was definitely present. But, you know, my family was very supportive. Although, you know, it was was good. It was actually really good to be away to some extent. You know, also, you know, being gay and stuff like that, that was like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and kind of only slowly kind of coming out, you know, and mm-hmm. it could be isolating in ways and, um, you know, meeting people to find a community and things like that. The struggles that I think a lot of people would have. Yeah. Um, yeah, but definitely, I mean, I, 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 I'm well aware that I, I feel incredibly grateful to mm-hmm. my family that they, you know, uh, you know, we you know, had a lot of there were a lot of resources that basically help us, you know, at least start that process. Yeah. You know, I like trying to do the same thing with our kids now. I'm like, you know, even though it's funny because they, the two of them, have decided, you know, they're they're gonna wait a little bit, which I, which we're also 100. percent You know, and they're yeah. both working, which is awesome, and they're getting, <laughs> you know, they're earning their own money, and you know, we're just doing trying to get taxes done, and like all four of them now. Like, oh so, because it wasn't, there's multiple factors that you still listed out there. I mean, you had. Uh, familial support, yeah. but then you also had support that you then had to find yourself, though, on campus and Absolutely. kind of make your your own area and niche and uh, people to be there for you while you're also traversing college. Um, and I wasn't honest, you know, with my family. I mean, I wasn't open or I wasn't out. So, I mean, it, they were, they were, that was also difficult, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely, I would say. Definitely the combination of just different support systems and just being able to utilize them in different times of need and they're not just like dependent it's you a lot of the times some people will just kind of have just that one resource and so they can get very burnt out when you're constantly leaning on that one resource so just being able to spread yeah spread spread, (laughs) yeah spread out and network almost in a way for your own like mental health too i think at that point i did i really liked going places like mm-hmm. I remember like and I still that's what we do that's like Noggin does we yeah. go places <laughs> yeah. we, we're not like in an in-reach organization we don't make people come to us yeah. like yeah. I really did like decide that I enjoyed like not knowing what was going to happen or like mm-hmm. and learning having to learn something new yeah. and being kind of open to like sort of listen and then yeah. ask some questions and and then try to contribute so I remember taking a class in sign language and we Part of it for the second half of the year, we had to um, actually work at the Rhode Island School for the Deaf, and you know, I was a teacher's aide, you know, in a math class, and the kids were incredible. I remember like uh, meeting a lot of the deaf community and just realizing, oh my god, like jokes are extremely graphic because they're oh, visual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like learning things that you don't unless you do something and you go someplace <laughs> that you wouldn't. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. It's making making yourself 
uncomfortable yes. in the situations to grow. And making mistakes. Like, I really mm-hmm. think that's, I mean, that's critical. That's what we tell kids all the time. And that's, I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah. You don't yeah. know what the consequences are. And, I mean, until you take a step. Even if you're told what the consequences are, that doesn't mean that that's what the consequences are. Like, yeah. uh, it may be depending on who you are, for example. Mm-hmm. And unless you actually experience them, you don't have a visceral sense of what they are. Totally. It's kind of abstract. It's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, so you, you, it's better to try Fail. Yeah, I think I've yeah. come to that point where I've gotten a lot, I've calmed down a lot to now it's like, it's okay to make, I'm less, you know, harsh on yourself and mm-hmm. just like yeah, yeah, yeah. willing to take a few points off, a few points, right? Take a few points off of some assignments or right? now. I mean, just being willing to like, you know, <laughs> take if, more risks, take more risks mm-hmm. and just know that it's going to work out in the end. It's not, mm-hmm. you're not going to fall off this cliff and that's it. That's yeah. not, <laughs> yeah. that's not yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Life will go on. Um, and I know we touched on just a little bit of with some of the barriers that you were facing um, near in your undergrad, Jeff. Yeah. Going back when I'm now that I'm thinking about it, you never. I don't think you mentioned which community college it was that you. Well, uh, I started with several because okay. uh, the first time I tried, it didn't it, it didn't uh, uh, go very well. In mm. part because there were there were it turned out the sort of basic uh, things that I didn't get, get from high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Study how to write a paper, all of those mm-hmm. things, and and uh, it took me some time to actually uh, learn that. So uh, I went to because uh, I was up in Northern California, La, uh, Las Vegas College, and mm-hmm. then uh, Diablo Valley College. After that, I was ready at that point. I was a little more motivated. You know, I, I kind of had a, a better idea of where I wanted to go with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could see it. Yeah. You could visualize it. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it was still, though, even when I went to, uh, when I transferred to a four-year college, um, it took me some time, you know, uh, be, uh, to really feel like I um, belonged there. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And there was, there was a real feeling like I failed out of high school, failed out of my first uh, attempt at uh, junior college. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it, it took a while to actually feel like, oh, I... I I, I do belong here. I'm mm-hmm. not just uh, uh, fraudulently. Yeah, exactly. So what were some of the things that you think really kind of helped you feel like you were more involved in a part of the community you were um, around? Yeah, actually, one of the big things that I that helped me that I did when I, when I uh, shortly after I got there was I, I took on some uh, internships. Being kind of uh, off of that campus and actually working with other people who were, you know, uh, doing all sorts of other things, you know, mm-hmm. and that that actually really kind of helped me put things in a little bit of more of a, a perspective, mm-hmm. you know, because you can get kind of focused on that, that like, classroom environment yeah. and not really see kind of um, the other uh, possibilities, the yeah. other potential, and, and seeing that, seeing how people operated, you know, that the that those people were really that different than I was. So, and I think that's that's one thing I would you know recommend to anybody in school. You know, get off of your campus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so, that yeah. can be like the hardest thing too. Right. Is yeah. like especially when you're feeling detached and yes. not a part of something. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to be like, well, why should I then yeah. go and be a part of something because yeah. you're already feeling right. like you're yeah. not. So it's yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. How do you? Like, <laughs> like Portland State. I mean, the motto here is like. 
you know, let knowledge serve, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of built into the ethos. It's not like so inward looking. So I think we'll probably ask our final question, which is the question we ask at the end of all of our podcasts, Um, just asking what you would tell your past college self now with all the information you know, all the knowledge you know, whether it's a piece of advice or just some wisdom you felt like you wish you would have known. Go places, you know, again. Mm-hmm. But I think there was, that was already that kind of sense, right, basically, yeah. to do yeah. that. Uh, take, take risks, basically. I mean, you know, and I, I think, you know, in some ways, mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, kind of played it more, like I, I did the sequence of courses, like I said, but mm-hmm. I mean, I also did take different classes, so I think, you yeah. know, Keep on keeping on. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do something. Do something. Do what you're leads, doing. And then it leads to something else. For me, I think when I, I don't think I really understood, I think when I was an undergrad, I really saw things as being very sort of separated. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't really see until much later that things were, were really actually much more connected than yeah. you think. And so, um, you know, in a way that kind of holds you back from having a sense of community, which is, you know, uh, uh, I think makes a big difference in how you view what you're actually learning and why you might be doing it, what motivates you to do it. So uh, I think I, I wish I would have known that earlier on. Totally. But, you know, figure it out eventually. I guess. Yeah. So. In hindsight. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's definitely definitely true. Is there's a lot more power in what you're learning when you know that it's powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's harder to see that when you're in the classroom. I really liked how you pointed out um, the way in which um, you'd be in the classroom and how you would feel about... I'm speaking to Jeff. I'm sorry. I'm I'm motioning to Jeff with my hands, and I know people at home listening can't see me motioning to him. Taking it off of... uh, the, compar- the comparison of you're sitting next to this other person at your class yeah. and this is how they're doing and this is how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then being able to take that into the community aspect and not so much in the same comparative way of this is how I'm doing, this is how they're doing, but more in the way of how everything's applicable. Yeah. It kind of like when you finally get into that community sense, you're, you're taking away that competitive comparison and you're kind of putting it into more of a this is what I've learned and this can actually benefit a lot of people and you see yeah. the power in that. Um, and it then also benefits you because then you gather all these experiences and knowledge and mm-hmm. it adds more power into what you're doing and kind of propels you forward. It's kind mm-hmm. of what I took away from a lot of what you guys were saying. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of learning and then applying and then learning some more and then applying and just always... <laughs> in, in the end, we're all in this together. So. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting when I hear from, like, other majors <laughs> that are in different yeah. departments. Yeah. Because it's, like, their take is completely different. Yeah. It's like how I mentioned earlier with the business track. It's just very... Rigid. Very rigid. And a lot of times you hear that complaint. Um, so it's just interesting to see how... I want to say majority. Maybe I'm being optimistic. But majority understands how we all come together and we can form a functioning institution. Mm-hmm. But we, at certain parts, we can still miss how that flows together. Right. We, we want to thank you guys for this opportunity. Well, thank you guys so much. We really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. What a great conversation. Thanks again for listening, guys. If you guys want to keep up with the Two Broke College Kids podcast, follow all our social medias linked below. See ya.